Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Good morning. <laughs> and as Pastor Porsche said, I'm Guoyi, and I work mostly with IDMCI. Um, so this is a picture from last Saturday where we graduated 17 youth into young adults from IDMCI Uni, which is a 12-month program, a uh, 12-week program, sorry, 12 months, yeah, <laughs> to help them build a strong foundation in their faith before they enter university or NS. And many of them in this cohort are from BPJ, and we are indeed so very proud of them. Um, during my... Okay, during my university days, I studied chemical engineering and I worked in the oil and gas and pharmaceutical industries for a while before God called me out into full-time ministry. And so my wife and I, we spent uh, three years in Canada doing, uh, as I pursued my theological studies in Regent College, which was a huge blessing. Um, that's my wife. As you can see, she is the more artsy and craftsy side of us. And uh, she made that snow cow in our last winter in Canada. So uh, my only contribution to that is the two oranges that I borrowed from our landlady and the eyes which I plucked from my landlady's trees. So that's my contribution to our art and craft side. Right? So as I mentioned, we were in Canada for three years. Our first year we were in Toronto. And in Toronto, because my wife was doing her uh, master's in the University of Toronto. And then after that, we had to move over to Vancouver for me to do my uh, theological studies. So we drove over, <laughs> and during that drive over, uh, we had to cross this section over here, and you can see that there is a ferry crossing. So I'm going to tell you something very interesting about ourselves. We have a terrible track record with ferries. Let me tell you what happened. This was our first ferry ride in Canada, and we were told beforehand that uh, we need to arrive one hour before so that we could board the ferry. And then me, you know, it's my fault. Lah. So I thought boarding the ferry is just like taking the aeroplane, right? They tell you come two hours in advance to check in your luggage. But then after that, you can come in one and a half hours in advance and you are still fine, right? The gate is open until about 40 minutes before boarding time and you'll be fine. Unfortunately, in this case, we woke up, we drove there and we arrived about 50 plus minutes before the time to sail. And the person at the gate told us, Sorry, you missed the boat. And we were like, what do you mean missed the boat? The boat is right there. Sorry, we cannot let you on board. So if you know Canadians, they like to say sorry. And they say sorry like that. Sorry. Okay, sorry, huh? just kidding. <laughs> so that's the boat. <coughs> and so we, because we missed the boat, we ended up driving 16 hours around the lake to get to our next accommodation. And we arrived almost at midnight and had to leave again at 6 a.m. the next day to carry on our journey to the west. The next time that we boarded a ferry was in Vancouver, a few months down the road, and this time was a trip to Vancouver Island. So this is Sawasan Ferry Terminal, if you're familiar with it. And this time we were a little bit wiser, we know already. And we were with a friend who has been in Canada for years. So we we're like, you know what can go wrong, right? We just follow them lah. And we followed them and we, we reached there two hours early, right? All good. And our friend said, let's go and sit in the ferry terminal. 
So we did, and because we are uh, good students, right? We uh, went to the ferry terminal and we sat there and then we did our homework because there's essays to write and books to read and all. And we were listening out for the announcement to say time to board ferry. Four people listening out for an announcement. It turned out that we waited and waited and no announcement came, or at least we didn't hear it. Lah. So eventually we got a bit nervous, you know, like the seat getting a bit hot. So we went out to the parking lot where we had left our car. And then, you all know how this ends, lah. Huh? The whole parking lot, you can see there, was completely empty, except our car right in the middle. <laughs> and you know what it felt like? We, at the time, we didn't know whether to laugh or want to cry already, right? Because you need to wait for the next ferry. And, you know, it felt like you were, fell asleep at the JB checkpoint, and then the cars just went you by, and then you woke up and like the whole causeway is empty. That's what it felt like. Lah. Okay? It was terrible, but... We eventually did get on the next ferry, and that messed up our plans, but we still arrived at our accommodation once more extremely late at night. So, why do I tell you this? It's not just a fun tidbit about me. Lah. I want to bring you back to recap last week's sermon. Okay? And last week, Pastor Darwin spoke of the Day of the Lord. It would be a time of vengeance, a time of vindication, a time of visitation when God will come again and Jesus will return as king. But you remember there were two metaphors that Pastor Darwin spoke of? Anyone remember? The first metaphor is the, the thief. Well done. The thief in the night. And the thief in the night means that the day of the Lord will be sudden and unexpected. Unlike our ferry ride, right? we knew what time the ferry was supposed to go and somehow we didn't manage to get on a ferry, we missed the boat twice. Don't ask me how. After that, we always just sat in the car while we were waiting for the ferry already. <laughs> now, what's the second metaphor, anyone? Anyone? The lady in birth pains, right? You remember these two pictures? So the lady in birth pains shows that the day of the Lord will be sure and unavoidable. This time, like our ferry, like, we'll sail means we'll sail if you're not there, too bad for you, right? So this is what the day of the Lord is. And last week, we heard Pastor Darwin end exhorting us that because the day of the Lord is sudden and unexpected, and sure and unavoidable, we must be ever ready. Because you don't know when the Lord is coming. You see, it's not when the day of the Lord is that is important, but whether we are living in readiness now. It's not when the day of the Lord is that is important, but whether we are living in readiness now. And so, Today, we're going to go on to the next section in 1 Thessalonians, and I'm going to read to us um, our passage, but I'm going to begin where uh, Pastor Darwin's passage was last week, because really today's text is a continuation of that passage. All right, so before we read God's Word, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you again for your Word. We ask you, open our hearts that we may listen. Open our hands and our feet that we may do and cause us to be courageous as we live into your calling as your children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. This was last week's text, right? So now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you, because you know very well that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, you are not in the darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then, let us not be like the others who are asleep, 
But let us be awake and sober, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to this day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if we had two metaphors last week, this week we have more metaphors, except that the metaphors are slightly different. This time the metaphors are dualistic light and darkness, day and night, awake and asleep, sober and drunk. Right? So imagine you are at a restaurant and you are ordering a set lunch. Right? And then the waiter comes, he takes your soup order, and then he takes your meal order, and then he takes your dessert order, and then at the end he asks you, coffee or tea? Which will you choose? For me, I choose tea, lah. Unless I really need that caffeine boost in the middle of the day, then I'll pick the coffee, right? But you ask me, why can't I ask for Yuan Yang? Uh, you can try. Lah. Whether the, the restaurant will give it to you is a different question, right? But the point of the dualistic metaphor is that we are forced to make a choice, right? And that is the same choice that Paul is asking the people to make um, when he uses the metaphors to describe the day of the Lord, okay? Light, darkness, day, night, awake, asleep, sober, and drunk. Right? And the point of the dualistic metaphor is that you cannot say, I want to be somewhere along the line. It doesn't quite work that way. Right? You can't say, I want to be mostly light, but then there's some darkness. Mostly day, but then there's some night. We must choose because it is either or. You're either light or darkness, day or night, awake or asleep, sober or drunk. Right? And if you know your Bible well enough, this light and darkness theme actually runs throughout Scripture. Right, right at the beginning, in Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. And there was light. So light is God speaking into the darkness. And the darkness in the Bible represents chaos, hiddenness, ignorance, evil, sin, and judgment. So Amos chapter 5, writing of the day of the Lord, Amos says this, Woe to you, he's referring to the evil people who long for the day of the Lord. Why, evil people, do you long for the day of the Lord? It would be darkness for you and not light. Conversely, to be in the light is to have order in chaos. This revelation, wisdom, goodness, purity, and salvation. Being in the light, walking in God's light is salvation. We have been brought out of darkness into His marvelous light. And Paul tells us in another passage, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Friends, from the eschatological perspective, there are two kinds of people, day people and night people. There's no in-between. To be children of light means that you cannot live in darkness, they are incompatible. If you try to do so, you will end up deceiving yourself and denying your identity. And that's precisely Paul's point. Because as he writes to the Thessalonian Christians, he says that you don't belong. You're not in darkness and you don't belong to the night of darkness. And he says instead you are all children of the light and children of the day. So Paul can say this to them because he's confident. He's confident that the Thessalonians are living well, growing steadfastly. Like we saw when we began our series on Thessalonians. This is 1 Thessalonians 1, right? At the start of the book, Paul thanks God and remembers before God their work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, endurance inspired by hope. 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. The virtue triad, faith, hope, love, the Thessalonians are walking in this, remaining steadfast. And as far as Paul is concerned about the day of the Lord, to be in the light is far more important than to be in the know. To be in the light is far more important than to be in the know. Preparedness rather than prediction. Readiness rather than speculation. And so he goes on to exhort the Christians with two critical characteristics of this readiness. The first characteristic, be awake, because it reflects our identity in Christ. And the second, be sober, because it expresses our integrity for Christ. Okay? Let's, let's go back to our passage for a moment. Notice that the first half focuses on identity. You are children of light and not children of darkness. Right? Uh, but identity, as important as it is, must be lived out. It's quite one thing to claim to be a child of the light and quite another thing to live it out, especially when it costs us. Because in the Roman world, identity was a very complex thing. It still is today, but in slightly different ways, right? But let's look at the Roman world first. One of the key identities as a subject of Rome is to worship the emperor. So that's Augustus Caesar there. Um, not to do so, not to worship him, amounts to treason. Because essentially, if you reject the emperor, you're rejecting the emperor's gods, right? The emperor is the representation of the god. It is the auspices of the emperor that brings prosperity and peace to Rome. Yet, for the Christians, it is Christ who is Lord, not Caesar. Another key identity marker was participation in trade guilds. So what you have here is a picture of the Agora um, and the Roman Forum. This is where trade used to take place. This is where people would go to do their business, buy and sell things, arrange business dealings, send your goods out on a ship to, uh, so that it can go somewhere else and be sold, so that you make money. Right? Um, but to participate in the trade guilds meant that you need to worship some of the Roman gods because in that world, there's a god or a goddess for everything. For example, Minerva is the goddess of craftsmen. So if you're a carpenter, a stone worker, somebody dealing with textiles, you worship Minerva, and Minerva brings you prosperity. The guild worships Minerva. If you're a seafarer, you worship Neptune, the god of the sea. Right? It's, it's just the way things were. And for the Christians, it would have been much easier for them to just close one eye. You know, I worship God, but over here I offer my offerings to Minerva so that I can carry on my trade. Lah. Not to do so means you lose your income stream because you cannot make that business dealings with people. And it's this kind of persecution, under this kind of persecution, that is really tempting. Don't just close one eye, close two. Live your life as normal, right? Uh, worship the emperor, make your offerings to the gods and goddesses of Rome. Be a child of Rome and live a normal life. Join in to be prosperous with the prosperity of Rome. And it's against this backdrop that Paul reminds the Thessalonian Christians of their governing identity and issues the call to be awake. Christians need to be awake to the reality that the values of the kingdom of heaven are different from the values of the kingdom of the world. Awake to the reality that God is the king on the throne. Awake to the reality that living out the Christian identity will sometimes cost you pain, suffering, persecution, rejection, and more in context, awake to the reality that the day of the Lord is coming and we must be found ready. For us as Christians in Singapore, it may mean opening our eyes to the suffering and injustice that's going on around us. Right? It may mean making difficult choices about how you use your money, our time, our resources, what we participate or not participate in, 
what we pursue and not pursue, to pursue the things of the kingdom rather than merely our own interests. It may mean identifying the gods in our society that call out, call out to us to worship them and rejecting them because we are not their children. On the flip side, we may also ask ourselves, are we spiritually asleep? How's your devotional life with God? Am I being careless with my spiritual life such that it is wilting from the inside, even though I may look very good on the outside? Am I being merely a consumer in my church community, merely going through the motions, ticking off the boxes, coming to church every week, but being completely unwilling to participate in the life of the church? Friends, the first characteristic of readiness is be awake. It reflects our identity in Christ. The second characteristic is be sober. It expresses our integrity for Christ. Now, I'm sure some of us here enjoy the occasional drink. I do too, right? But you know that to be sober is a metaphor that has two different components. The first component is that we need to be alert, we need to have our senses tuned. The second component is to be in control, right? And that's the problem with drink driving because the more you're intoxicated, the more your senses are dulled and the more you lose control. Those are the two elements of being sober, right? But it's not alcoholism that Paul is talking about here. Just like it's not about being awake 24-7 in the previous point. Paul uses this soberness as a metaphor because the Greco-Roman world, my brothers and sisters, was intoxicating. With Roman ships patrolling the Mediterranean, with Roman infantry patrolling the roads, keeping them safe, and Roman laws serving as a deterrent to crime, the economy prospered. Trade, goods and services flowed from the east in the Middle East to the west in Spain. All this is called the Peace of Rome, the Pax Romana, as Pastor Darwin shared with us last week. And Pastor Darwin also encourages us to consider if there's an equivalent, a parallel Pax Singapura. I think there is. But you see, the problem is not about Singapore. The problem is that our culture intoxicates us with power, wealth, status, success, sex, seeming peace. And we may perhaps sum it up all as the ability to live lives the way we want it, to look for the things we desire, to choose the way we want. And our affluent society doesn't just serve it up on a pretty platter. It sells us that vision of the good life and encourages us to buy into it. In fact, it upholds those people who have this good life as successful, as desirable. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that affluence is wrong in itself. I am not saying that we cannot be rich. Right? I am saying that we need to critically examine ourselves and ask ourselves whether this allure has intoxicated us to the extent that it has taken the place of God in our lives. Being good is not the same as being godly. Having high net worth is not the same as being worthy. Being savvy with our finances is not the same as stewardship. Being safe is not the same as eternal security. Being productive is not the same as being fruitful, and being engaged is not the same as being faithful. 
And of course, you can be both. You can be good and godly, um, wealthy and worthy and so on. But the point is, it takes soberness to tell the difference. It takes senses that are keen enough, attuned enough first to God rather than to the world to see the distinction. And it takes self-control to live in a world that seeks first its own pleasures rather than the kingdom of God. And it is this identity, this soberness that allows us to live with integrity for Christ. So we have looked at two critical characteristics of readiness. First, be awake, because it reflects our identity in Christ. And second, be sober, because it expresses our integrity for Christ. But friends, let's not leave it as characteristics. But let's ask what the characteristics point to. Knowing that the day of the Lord will come suddenly, knowing that it's sure and unavoidable, here's another dualistic question. Would you prefer to be ready or not ready for the day of the Lord? I trust for the vast majority of us here, we prefer to be ready. I hope you won't say you don't want to be ready. Right? But you see, there's a more important question that I want us to respond to. And I'm going to do something very strange by, by calling a response in the middle of a sermon, okay? but just wait for it. The next question is not about giving a correct answer. Right? It's not about looking around at people or talking about generalities. It's about being painfully honest with ourselves before God. And I'm going to give us a few moments to think about it seriously. Right? Because Covenant EFC, the question is not whether we prefer to be ready or not ready. It's whether you consider yourself to be ready or not ready. And I cannot answer that question for you. Given what has been said about being awake because it reflects our identity in Christ and being sober because it expresses our integrity for Christ, would you say honestly before God that you are ready or are you not ready? If Jesus were to come back now, would he find you awake and sober, living as a child of light? Or would he find you asleep and intoxicated, dabbling in the darkness? Which side are you on? We need to choose. And I totally understand that this is a difficult question. Despite growing up in a Christian home, I, for most of my life, I would say I'm not ready. I was pursuing my own interests all the way, going for the grades, the way I made my choices for career was what can pay me more, which place can give me better advancement. Right? The, the things that I focused on, that I bought, were just for my own pleasure. Not ready. Complacent. Living exactly like the world, bought into the culture of the world. Thinking about myself, my career, my success, rather than God, God's work. God's kingdom. Not ready. I didn't even see the need to be ready. So brothers and sisters, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads now. And let's be painfully honest before God. Even now, God is calling you to stop sitting on the fence because there is no fence. Even now, the Spirit convicts the hearts and there is grace to be ready. God reaches out to those He loves. God is calling you as a child of His to be a child of light and of day. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands 
if you are not ready. Honestly, before God, if you say you are not ready, but you want to be ready, in a moment I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. That is the crucial choice that each one of you must make. So when I count to three, if you know that you are not ready for the day of the Lord, but you want to be ready, you say, yes, Lord, I acknowledge I'm not ready, I want to be ready. At the count of three, I want you to raise your hands. With all eyes closed, all heads bowed. One, two, three. Thank you. The Lord sees your hands. The Lord sees your hands. The Lord sees your hands. Father, I thank you for the hands that are raised today. I thank you that even now you call us to be ready and there is grace to be so. I pray you continue to work in all our hearts, all our lives, especially in those whose hands are raised now, Lord. We want to be ready, even though we know we are not. So keep working in us, Lord. Keep helping us to make that choice conscientiously every day, every moment to live for you in accordance with our identity because it is our integrity for Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm thankful for the hands that were raised. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I, I went out for a slow breakfast with the Lord on Thursday. I was wondering, what in the world do I say? And during that breakfast, God asked me the same question I just asked you. Goyi, are you ready? Somehow God likes to speak to me over food, especially eggs. <laughs> so as I was eating my kaya toast and my half-boiled eggs, I was pondering that question as I was looking at the text. And after some thought, with much fear and trembling, I responded to God, Lord, I'm ready. And the Lord led me to consider how is it that I can say that with confidence. And it's that that i like to share with you as I conclude the sermon today. Because there is one more verse in our passage, and that is verse 8. Here it is. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. That's the virtue triad again. And there's something interesting that goes on in this last verse because Paul combines two elements in it. The first element we have seen, the Corinthian church, walking in faith, hope and love. The second element, the breastplate and the helmet, comes from an Old Testament text in Isaiah 59, verse 17. The Lord put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. This passage in Isaiah talks about the day when the Lord comes back to restore all things, the day of the Lord. And what is interesting, amazing to me here is that while we have our part to play, Paul tells us to put on the armour that is none other than the armour of God, the armour that God wears himself. Or we may say it a different way, Paul tells us to put on God himself. Thus, binding tightly together our integrity and identity with Christ, bound together. And we don't do this by our own strength. Because Goy is sinful, there are many times when I run out of capacity to love. There are many times when I don't always act in faith. I act in my own strength. I act in my own competency. And there are many times when the going gets tough, I just lose sight of the hope that is to come. That's just how it is. And if it were just by my strength and just by each of our strength, we are doomed. 
None of us will be ready for the day of the Lord. But thanks be to God, because we do not labour on simply by our capability or sheer mental perseverance. We labour on because God in Christ labours on in us. Unless the Lord watches the house, the watchmen stay awake in vain. You know that sound. You've memorised it. We are ready because God makes us ready, because of what God has already done in Christ. And it is only by this reality that we stay awake and sober, reflecting our identity in Christ and expressing our integrity for Christ. He has done it. He empowers us in Him to live for Him. Friends, are you ready? Christ makes us ready. And so, as I end this sermon, I'd like to read us um, the same passage, but in a different translation. This is in a commentary by Nijay Gupta. And I like this translation because it just brings out the essence, the, the thought of the passage. As for you, my dear brothers and sisters, you are not in the dark for the day to overtake you in surprise like a thief. For all of you are children of light, children of day. We are not night people nor darkness people. Therefore, let us not fall asleep as the rest, but rather let us be awake and fully alert. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who drink, get drunk at night. But as for us, day people, let us stand at the ready, having dressed in the breastplate of faith and love, and having put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. Day people, let's stand at the ready. Let's make ready the coming of the King as we prepare to meet King Jesus. And let's recognize that we can know we are ready. We can know we are ready. If we are living in a way that reflects our identity in Christ, and if what we do and what we choose expresses our integrity for Christ. But we do so knowing that we run the race, we endure, we overcome, we fight this battle not by our own strength, but because Christ is in us. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. So let's respond to God as I invite you to stand together with me and close with this song. Jesus, my Redeemer, there is no more for heaven now to give. I sense my joy, my righteousness and freedom. My steadfast love, my deep and boundless
night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, His power is this way. Yes, I hope my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley, I will be. Oh, the night has been more shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ. Suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the Hallelujah. To this I hold my sin is being defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811 or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.